0: Everyone and welcome to episode 262 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Seth Fried Olive, and this week Richard is still away. He will be back next week, so uh it's me and Krim. two many yet, Krim? Good to have you here. How you doing today?
1: I'm doing all right myself. Just had a pretty fun weekend watching the Players Tour and whatnot. So yeah,
0: I uh, I spent a lot of my weekend watching the Players Tour as well, and. It was pretty it was very interesting. Uh, there were some really good matches. It was cool to see all the new Pioneer decks in. Uh, that's kind of a good segue to our topics because one of our biggest topics for today is going to be the players tour events. We had two of them this weekend. First taste of Pioneer at a pro tour level and a uh, pretty interesting event. So we're going to spend a while talking about those events, Pioneer, where it's at, where it's going, uh, all that kind of stuff. Also might talk a little bit about the MPL rules that came out this week. That was the other kind of uh, bit of news that dropped, uh, a big document about uh, what's expected of MPL players, how you qualify for stuff, all that kind of stuff, and then of course answering some fish mail as well. So that's kind of the plan for the cast today. Before we jump into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever struggled to sell your magic cards with all the hassle and time it takes to sort them and do all that kind of stuff, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder is the easiest way to sell your magic cards. They will take and sort Grade and sell your cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now you can get a 10% discount by going to cardconduit.com/slash goldfish. So thank you so much to Card Conduit for supporting the show today. And with our sponsorship stuff out of the way, let's talk Sub Deer. So before we dig into the actual deck list and what perform well. What did you think of this tournament, Grim, or these tournaments, I guess? I know, like, last week we were pretty hyped, and then you were kind of like, I don't know if I'm as hyped because of this inverter deck. Now that we actually have <laughs> seen the tournaments, what did you think?
1: Uh, I take back what I last said. <laughs> as even though there was as much inverter as there was and how dominant it was, maybe it's because it's still kind of new. Um, it wasn't bad. Uh, I still, like, there's still a lot to learn. Everyone, I mean, like, yeah, at first I was like, well, these, inverter decks it might get boring not might not be the craziest thing to watch for coverage but the games they they were amazing right like I was still really excited like especially in that finals um in Brussels with uh you know canister versus Yule. uh like th- there was th- they were fun games to watch despite so much inverter
0: yeah I think the way you put that was really good that was kind of my impression of inverter is I thought it actually led to some really interesting games this weekend and like some really cool decision points, uh, in interesting matches between really good players. Will I still feel that way about Inverter next weekend at the Players Tour or like two months from now when we have like a Pioneer GP or something? It- probably not. I think it's one of those decks where, like, the novelty will wear off, and it'll be like, oh, not this again. But for right now, I thought it actually led to uh, some really cool and interesting matchups. Inverter, I think, was definitely the talk of the tournament. It was kind of uh, played out that way as far as metagame percentages. There were two players' tours this weekend, one in Brussels, one in Nagoya. If you mashed the metagames together, uh, that was the most played deck. Inverter came in I think it was 19% in Nagoya in like 12% or something in Brussels. It was actually the second most played in Brussels, but if you add in 19% in uh, Nagoya, it was the most played deck of the weekend. It was definitely the talk of the tournament. What do you think about this deck now that, we've kind of had this experience of these weekends it definitely stole a lot of top eight slots overall especially in nagoya where it put five into the top eight it was only one in brussels and brussels was very diverse but where do you think this deck sits now Uh, is this a new top tier deck is it the new best deck in the format is it something where we're going to be looking at like does this need to be banned where do you come down as far as inverter at this point grim
1: well this is where I'm kind of torn, right? Like, I think, as I had mentioned, this is a... This is a sweet deck, but... If we're talking about bannings and whatnot, is Wizards gonna kind of be vigilant about the whole... S- sort of two-card combo kind of thing? Uh, and, and like, you know, that's the one thing I do worry about the deck itself. However, I do think that the deck is also... Not really... Like, it, it's the first weekend, right? So, like, really... I'm pretty sure a lot of people might have just been playing it because instead of trying to beat it, figure out, you know, what beats it, tech against it, they're just going to try to play it themselves. And then next week and the future weeks to come, this is where people will probably be like fine tuning it and figuring out how to really make it a better, well oiled machine. So I'm excited to see what its final form looks like. But at the same time, I'm also concerned. So that's how I feel about the deck, at least right now. Uh, but yeah. As for whether or not A needs to get banned, I'm not sure. But if Wizards wants to stay consistent with what they've done, I think it will be a, a deck to watch out for.
0: Yeah, I think the two-card combo argument is a good argument for keeping it on the watch list at least for bannings i think uh it's hard to say too much based on this weekend you pointed out some really good things the deck is very new people are learning how to play it they're also learning how to play against it we saw some kind of questionable maybe sideboarding choices with people like bringing graveyard hate and then losing because they (laughs) they brought in graveyard hate and actually like help facilitate the combo so i think people are still learning how to fight the deck as well, and one of the cool things about these player tour events is we get all the deck lists, which means we can actually jump into some, like, matchup data and really analyze the meta, and if you look at Demir Inverter, uh, this is specifically from Brussels that I have the metagame data from and the matchup data, the deck was very good across the board, 54% match win percentage, however, it does seem like the deck might have an Achilles heel, which is aggro. If you look at all the matchups the deck played against, it did 50% or better against basically everything, with the exception of mono-white aggro and the mono-white kind of aggro Devotion Heliod style deck. Those decks both posted very solid win percentages against Inverter, so I'm very curious to see, and that's one of the things I like about this kind of new setup with the players tours. We have another players tour this weekend, so it's going to be really interesting to see if people can adjust to it. Like, maybe you just play mono-red aggro, and that beats Inverter by itself or this mono-white aggroy Devotion deck, so maybe the metagame can adjust and make Inverter just another good deck, rather than something that would be ban-worthy, although I think I would not be upset to see Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise banned. I've been like talking about these cards since Pioneer became a format, and saying that I don't think they're necessarily broken yet, but they will be someday, and I think with Pioneer, I'd rather just see them kind of be aggressive with cards like that. I think we see that with Smuggler's Copter. Was Smuggler's Copter like literally breaking the format when it was banned? It was very good. I don't know if it was breaking the format, but they took the aggressive stance of banning it before it became entrenched in the format. And there was a really good argument on the SCG this weekend from Patrick Sullivan about, like, the Smuggler's Copter banning and comparing that to, like, Mox Opal in Modern, where you had Mox Opal, like, probably be bannable for the last five years but it stayed in the format stayed in the format got up to a hundred dollars was the core of a bunch of really expensive decks and that made the banning really painful so i wouldn't mind wizards like erring on the side of caution and just getting rid of like dig through time and treasure cruise because even if they're not technically breaking the format right now i can't imagine that they're going to be healthy in the format as it grows over the next few years and we get more cards we get more graveyard mechanics we get more combos to find and so forth
1: i um i i mean I could see where you're coming from when it comes to like Dig and and Treasure Cruise, but at the same time, I do find some appeal. Like, the draw to Pioneer is that it's one of the formats I can play Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise, right? Like, and yeah, like, as you know, the whatever future cards get printed, future things come down the pipeline. Yeah, it gets way scarier and way it like has a ton of potential, like you had mentioned, to be broken. So, like, yeah, they could preemptively ban it, but at the same time, I hope they. I I am on the other side of that where I hope they don't, just because as I said, yeah, it, it it is a draw for me to play that in Pioneer, and and it's funny that I say that, but yet none of my decks really play it, uh, <laughs> like like I I do think the card though just existing is cool, and and granted like like watching Yol Larson just play Leyline because Dig was that good, like Yol was just trying to like in the finals of Brussels was bringing in Ley Line of the Void, which, like you had mentioned earlier, kind of helps facilitate the combo, right? Like, at one point in the finals, uh, Canister was just sitting there with a Jace, and if he had drawn a single uh, inverter of truth at that point, at any point, that would have been uh, Canister's game to win, right? Thanks to the Ley Line. But, uh, regardless, even with that downside, uh, Yole still deemed it, like, necessary to keep in the Ley Lines. So, that does show that, like, Dig Through Time is very good, and especially a deck like Invader Inverter that, like, is, you know, just really only needs one to two cards to win the game. Uh Like, yeah, it is kind of scary. But still, I hope that they don't... I- I'm on the camp that they do not ban that card.
0: So, question for you about Inverter and Dig Through Time. Uh, let's say they did ban f- Dig Through Time. Like, okay, let's say they did get to the point where we feel like the inverter deck did need to be targeted with a banning. What do you think of the idea of dig through time being the card to ban there? Do you think it would be better to go for one of the combo, probably inverter, I guess, based on the trend of banning, like the older card rather than the newer card. But would you, do you think it would be better to ban one of the combo pieces compared to kind of like the enabler and dig through time that adds consistency? If it, if it did get to that point, we're not there yet. I don't think
1: so. There is the concern, right, of like future cards and tons of cards getting banned, uh, like for like, you know, dig through time sins or whatever. And like, yeah, I mean, but like, I think I personally would like to see maybe, if it were up to me, I'd rather have Inverter or something like that. Um, uh, f- Thassa's Oracle's fine because Thassa's Oracle, uh, still allows the through, uh, underworld breach deck to win uh i'm sure you know what i mean like there, like so if you want a combo deck that that seems like a combo deck i'd probably that would still be in the format so i like i i like the idea of banning uh inverter instead of dig or treasure cruise or or something like that but you are like i myself understand that probably down the line somewhere enough cards will just get banned because of uh you know dig through time or treasure cruises uh ability to make them way too consistent
0: I think uh one of the interesting reasons or arguments if it did get to the point of a banning to ban uh, like you said Inverter is one of kind of the unique things about these players tours is even though the demir Inverter deck was the number one way to play Thassa's Oracle Inverter of Truth combo by far there were some unique takes on that that showed up as well. There was like Mono Blue Devotion that was literally just splashing for Inverter of Truth because you already have Thassa's Oracle. There was like a Eldritch Evolution take that was like a bunch of mana dorks and trying to use Eldritch evolution to tutor out the combo pieces in Thassa's Oracle Inverter. So even if you did, like, go after Dig Through Time to weaken Demir Inverter, there's a decent chance that another build of the combo could develop that doesn't even care about Dig Through Time or doesn't even want Dig Through Time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like what, what else? Are there any currently... Uh, there are none off the top of my head that could be, like, a replacement, but... Definitely something else could break Thassa's Oracle, right? Like maybe everybody just shifts from blue-black inverter to, to, I had mentioned the, uh, Lotus Field through, uh, Underworld Breach combo.
0: Yeah. I think that's definitely a deck I would, uh, keep on the radar. The, speaking of Lotus Breach, that was, we talked about like three combo decks last podcast. Demir Inverter obviously made its presence felt. I think we're both kind of in like, wait and see mode what happens at these future tournaments can people adjust to it but it is definitely i would say the deck to be going into next weekend's players tour events uh, i think that it is the new the new top deck of the meta game i would say
1: i agree uh i definitely agree that demir inverter is most certainly the top deck it's got a lot of like power that uh, you're looking for the question is at the same time does this then mean like because of its power level does it, does it make everything else in Pioneer just significantly worse to play? Like, is this now like the, the, the bet? Like, you know what I mean? Like, the bar that is being set for the, for Pioneer's power level. Is it Demir Inverter levels of good? Which is a concern because there are decks like that don't have thought Cs or, or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, like, I think because of this deck, you're seeing decks like, ban spirits exist right like ban spirits is really popular right now right and, and and it is because it has enough disruption uh it has a clock aggression like you had mentioned earlier uh i played uh a, a deck over the weekend which saw some play actually or at least the archetype saw some play in like the the player's tour which is black red dragons uh because of the aggression of it and uh yeah like I wonder if this deck now forces the entire form, like it just warps the entire format. And if so, then you know, like if it's still that way, like like you know, decks like a ton of decks are just stifled and can't exist because of the power level of it. Maybe in a co- like a, a couple of weeks, we'll we'll see, or maybe a month or two. Maybe we'll then we'll have to have something done about the deck.
0: I think for the short term, I think what inverter does to pioneer is. I think it pushes slower decks that don't interact with the combo particularly well out of the metagame. If you look at the matchup data again, like, Mono re- a Green Ramp is a good example. It lost, like, almost 90% of the time to Demir Inverter. I think you can just, like, I'm
1: okay with that.
0: Literally not that play cut. Mono Green Ramp anymore. Like, it just can't beat Inverter. We also saw Niv to be pretty bad against Inverter, uh losing, uh or Inverter won 74% of the time, so I think that's another deck that's just, like, not fast enough and doesn't have the thought seizes or the right interact Although at the same time, it is a deck that maybe you can build in a way that can interact. I know like Paulo had success with it and apparently like the checkhouse guys had a really good record. But overall, uh the Niv deck didn't perform very well. So I think it pushes those decks down in the meta. And I think it increases the popularity of the aggro decks we were talking about before. Like if I was going to the players tour this weekend, I would be looking at mono red aggro as probably being the best choice, potentially, because it's good against Inverter, and, uh, according to the, the matchup data, it was the number one deck overall in win percentage. Uh, it just kinda crushed people 58% overall win percentage, which was significantly higher than the next best deck, which was Demir Inverter at 54%. So, wait, what do you wait. think about, uh, Red Aggro? Is this a deck that's on the rise in the format?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I like this more than, like, uh, called Chonky Red or whatever. Yeah. The Red mid-range deck, right? Like, I, I, th- I think I like this way more than that. Um, cause, you know, it, it seems very efficient. Uh, just looking at it, it's like the red deck that we all kind of know and love. Uh, I mean, and what you'd expect from the format's aggressive deck. Um, I, I think it, I, I think it's good. I, I think it definitely, well, at least with, with Inverter. Cause Inverter, I played against it and, you know, like it has a problem with a single like goblin rabble master, right? <laughs> and if you like, you know what I mean. Like, you just play a rabble master and you just go to town, and you don't have to commit anything else. It really has a tough time. The deck has a tough time with uh, aggression, along with a few of the other decks. Obviously, this deck has a problem. Like, this deck can uh, have some problems if like Niv to Light and whatnot are are still around. But uh, and, uh wait, did, didn't didn't uh, at Brussels wasn't like uh, Sultai at, like, 72% something for conversion or win rate. Like, I I think... But I granted that there weren't as many players, but, like...
0: Saltai, it might have been, uh, we only broke down matchup data on the 10 most played decks. So because it only yeah. had a couple of players, I don't actually have the numbers on that, but that very well could be true. And uh, that deck looked very impressive, uh, yeah. in the hands of Joel Arson. Like, uh, it kind of, uh, just crushed that tournament and it uh, was able to take down inverter decks. Uro was super impressive. Uh, that card yeah. was, was very good throughout the game. And that looked like a, a really sweet take on the Delirium archetype where Delirium is this archetype where I feel like in Pioneer it had never really found its legs and it might be that Uro is the card that actually makes it possible because if you cross Uro and some sideboard cards off the list it's very much just green-black Delirium, Like, it's got the same stuff, yeah. Ishkanas and Emrakles and Seder Wayfinders, the same stuff that you would think of as Green Black Delirium, but maybe Uro was enough to just, like, make this a real deck in the format when it really wasn't pre-Theros Beyond Death.
1: I could see that. I mean, like, we watched it, like, win games for, or, like, we watched PV, like, playing that in out of Five Color Niv, and watching him, like, I don't know, like, Abrupt Decay, his own voice of Resurgence... To fill up the yard, get Uro back against red deck. Uh, Uro does a lot of things that you want it to do, right? Like, it, it's a clock. It keeps you alive against the aggression, aggressive decks. Uh, it, it, like, it, it keeps you in the game and helps you maybe hit your land drops. So, I don't know. I, that was a deck that I was really impressed by watching Yoel Larson play it. Uh, Yoel, I think, was doing a deck tech saying that other players were also playing the deck because, um, they had run into him or some, like, uh, like him and the, like the crew that made it. Uh, on Moto. And because they ran into him on Moto, they then took the list and tried it for themselves and also had some really good success, uh, at, at the Player's Tour. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe this deck gets modified by Yoel Larson and the team, uh, and his team and it gets even better at po- this weekend, uh, after this weekend. And, and because of that, I now wonder, like, just like at Yoel had brought in Leyline of the Void in the, for, in the meantime while Dig is still in the format, uh, is, is this now the point, uh, where Pioneer, maybe you can play Leyline of the Void, or is it time to run a ton of Leylines again out of your sideboard? You know what I mean? Like, cause Leyline of the Void was shut down the key part of this Salty Delirium deck, which is that Uro game plan, uh, that sorta dredgeless dredge deck. You know what I mean? Uh, th- Underworld Breach yeah. helps cut off Dig from Demir Inverter. Like, I don't know. It's starting to look like a good sideboard option.
0: Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. Just looking at uh, the top decks in the format from this weekend, I definitely would be down with having some some ley lines in my sideboard. I feel like they do line up pretty well with a decent chunk of the meta, uh, enough that it's worth dedicating some sideboard slots to. Uh, So I definitely would keep an eye on that. What do you think of Bant Spirits? I would say Bant Spirits... Might be a breakout deck, I would say. Uh, It's been around in Pioneer. But really, if you look at the old metagame before this weekend, it was really straight blue-white spirits that was the most popular build. But then this weekend, uh, definitely the best-performing spirits build is a build that's just basically splashing into green for Collected Company and a little bit of sideboard cards. But that deck put two people in the top eight. In Brussels, uh, did not get a top eight slot in Nagoya, but overall it had a pretty successful weekend. So what do we think about spirits moving forward?
1: Um, yeah, like you had mentioned, it, it's been in the format as the blue white deck. Uh, you know, I, I felt like the deck was always just good enough, right? Like, and, and the blue white, the straight up blue white version plays like three fairy as a way to interact with, you know, uh, spell queller. So, but maybe Coco is all it needed and it looks just like the modern version of Bant Spirits, right? <laughs> Outside of like having Noble hierarchy, which is huge, but like, I, I do think that like, this deck just looks like the modern Bant Spirits. I, and I, I like the way it attacks the meta, because if the meta is the Breach combo and, and, and like the, the Inverter combo, this, this has the uh, disruption, it has counter spells, it also can just like kill you. So, I, I like it. I like it a lot. It, it does, it's nothing crazy. It, it, I, I think the crazy flashy deck that we had come out of this tournament would be Inverter or maybe even the Saltai deck. But like this list seems fine tuned and really good against the meta right now.
0: Yeah. I think playing against the Inverter deck, if you really, uh, let's assume that Inverter is going to be the most played deck. I would assume on Magic Online and even in paper tournaments in the near future. Uh, I feel like. If you look at how that deck works, it's kind of like a turn 5 combo deck, maybe even a turn 6 combo deck, Uh, and if you can have a single piece of disruption, like a Spell Queller on the first Inverter, let's say, or something, you can slow that down at least another turn or two, so I think the easiest way to compete with Demir Inverter is either have a pretty fast clock with Disruption, like we see with Spirits. Like, Spirits is very disruptive, and it still has a decently fast clock, or just have a fast enough clock that you're going to kill inverter before they get to get to that turn five combo kill. Like you can see with like mono red aggro, you can just put so much damage on the board so quickly. You can reasonably kill your opponent, many times before they even get a chance to pull off their combo. You just, like, curve out, play your Torbrand, attack, and kill your opponent on turn four. Your turn five combo isn't going to do anything. So I think that is how I would look at attacking the Inverter meta uh, moving forward. Anything else that really stuck out at these tournaments uh, for you, Grim? If we look at... I guess we should go through the top eights. At Brussels, we talked about Saltai Delirium, Uh, Joel Larsen took down the tournament with the deck. Demir Inverter came in second in the hands of Canister. We got one Lotus Breach that snuck in. What do you think about Lotus Breach this weekend? Lotus Breach wasn't as heavily played as I thought that it might be. But it did do well enough with a small number of players to put one player into the top eight. Uh, what do you think about this one? Is this still a scary deck to keep an eye on? Uh, does this weekend make you think that maybe it's not something to be super concerned about? Where do we fall on uh, the Lotus Breach deck?
1: I don't think that it's like a bad deck. I still think it's very good. It's just Inverter is the hotness right now. It's the flavor of the week, right? It's uh, it, it's all over the queues. So, like, everyone is just playing, like, everyone and their pet snail is pretty much playing, like, inverter, right? So, but I do not question the power level of Lotus Breach, because at a point, this was also the deck to play, and this was all over the queues. So, uh, it's, I, I still respect the deck, and I think that you should too.
0: Yeah. I think it's still worth uh, respecting, and it definitely seems like a deck to me that has the power level. If uh, maybe people uh, kind of get a little tired of Inverter, maybe there's some sort of shake-up in the format at some point, where this could sneak up and be a legitimate threat to win a tournament, because it is a fast and consistent deck uh, that can do some pretty explosive things uh, for the Pioneer meta, but like you said, I think it's just that Diverter, uh, Inverter, has been such yeah. a uh, such a good combo deck that has kind of overshadowed Lotus Breach, and it really overshadowed the Heliod decks as well. Like, we talked about Mono-White Devotion having a good win rate uh, against Inverter and overall, but it wasn't something that we really saw on camera much through the weekend. I'm not sure I saw any, like, Heliod combos going off.
1: Yeah, I didn't see any either, actually. When I was watching coverage, it was all just either the Inverter deck or anything else except Mono-White or any Heliod deck. Oh, uh, i there there probably were uh but I mean the points that I were tuning in or I was tuning in, I didn't see any myself, uh but yeah, like the top eight of Brussels looked way different to me than how Nagoya looked at, like <laughs>
0: yeah but- Na- nagoya. Was uh, That was the inverter top eight. There were five inverters in Nagoya. One Bant Spirits, which we talked about. One Mono Black Vampires sneaking in. And then maybe my favorite deck from the entire weekend, which was Ken Yukihiro's White Black yeah. Sram deck. We've seen Sram decks before. That's not really unique. But this build is heavily Theros Beyond Death influenced. It's got Elcids. It's got Ephemias. It's got Hateful Idolons. So it's basically black-white Sram? What do you think about this deck, Krim? Like, is this something where, this is a Ken deck where Ken always has, like, really unique brews and does well with it? Or is this something that you expect will actually have legs in uh the meta at large when non-Ken players are playing it
1: i definitely feel like it is a Ken hero deck (laughs) like i i'm pretty sure he can win with anything at this point right like 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 50 lands and i don't know treasure hunt or something like that right (laughs) like like the the thing here is that deck does look sweet though it does have some things that I really like about it like the sideboard seems pretty cool. Uh Brain Maggot is a card I forgot about. Gideon of the Trials is a nice card to bring in against uh Demir Inverter. And like which by the way I assume will probably only continue to rise in popularity cuz Gideon's Emblem seems great against that deck. Uh and yeah, so I mean it maybe maybe it 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 is tier or I but I, I think for to me when I look at this deck list it looks like tier one point five at best. But I think it's it just comfortably sits around tier two for me right now.
0: That's probably a pretty safe bet, especially since these decks can be really tricky to play. Like, if you pick up decks like this, I've played quite a few Sram decks at various points. Uh, the games where you just, like, can run out of Sram, and it lives, and you cast a bunch of spells, those games are really easy. But when things go wrong with a deck like this, and your Sram doesn't stick, or you don't draw Sram, it takes a lot of tricky lines and eking out really tiny advantages to be able to win games if you don't just, like, get to draw five cards a turn because I got a Sram out. So I I would guess that this is a deck where uh mere mortals who are not ken yuki hero yeah. level players and brewers probably going to do a little bit worse with it i'm planning on playing it uh on stream because i just love the idea of it but i'm fully expecting that because i'm not ken yuki hero probably not going to do as well as ken does with the deck because like i said it seems like a deck that's actually really tricky to play outside of those games where you just get to like free roll a sram and get a free win out of it
1: yeah and like a uh, a thing to note though about the deck i think that the reason why it works now as opposed to like older saram decks is karametra's blessing uh you finally have a super blossoming defense right like in this style of deck it's a super blossoming defense it gets indestructible you can like you know what i mean like it can keep an ephemia all side or anything like that uh alive so that i think that is one of the key pieces of the deck also seeing cards like I don't know Sentinel's eyes because it's a cheap, it's a cheap way to enchant a creature to keep things indestructible. Yeah, the old googly eyes enchantment. I'm all, I'm on board with it. I, I think, I think that if there is a reason why this deck is top notch powerful, it probably has to do something with the fact that Karametra's blessing finally exists for the deck.
0: Yeah, I think Karametra's blessing is a huge deal, and. I actually love the how resilient this deck looks. A a lot of SRAM decks in the past, kind of like green-white SRAM decks, you're just pretty much all in on just, like, run out all your stuff and hope your opponent doesn't wrath your board or something. But if you look at this deck, you mentioned Karametra's Blessing great protection. There's also Elcid of Life's Bounty, which is another new card that is really great protection for targeted removal. And then yeah. we have Hateful Eidolon, which is a backup card advantage engine. If things do go wrong, you're going to draw a bunch of cards and refuel. And then you even have Ephemia, which allows you to exile stuff that dies from the graveyard. So this seems, it, just looking at it on paper, I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. It's high on my list. It looks way more resilient than Past Sorom decks. Where Past decks, my impression of them is they can be very very powerful, but you just dump your hand and kind of cross your fingers that your opponent can't stop what you're doing. Because if they do stop what you're doing, the game just kind of ends. You don't have a way to rebuild, yeah. really. This deck actually seems to have a ton of ways to protect its game plan and a lot of ways to rebuild if you do get hit by a wrath or something like Ephemia and Hate Flitaline, all that stuff. Like getting wrathed and uh, so forth doesn't actually seem that game ending compared to pass around builds.
1: Yeah, like the the Ephemia game plan seems really sweet too. Just being able to like like, build a board again and go wide. It can do both, go wide and just, like, you know, like the old game plan, dump everything. So, I'm a fan of it. But, uh, and then another deck that I'm a fan of, actually, in this entire uh, top eight is, uh, like, yes, um, you know, we've seen a lot of inverter decks, but like we had mentioned earlier the mono blue inverter game plan. This deck, the mono blue one from Nagoya seems so cool. Like, this is the inverter deck that... I'd probably look to try out because this one has the entire mono blue game plan, but it also plays Leyline of Anticipation and has two Wizards retorts. So it's very mono blue, but it has just randomly at the at in all of this. It just has an inverter of truth and the ley lines are what make it interesting to me. I think that's just a cool card to throw in.
0: Yeah, I love how opposite that deck is than the typical Inverter deck. Because the typical Inverter deck, the game plan is mostly to keep your graveyard small. So when you Inverter you make your library small enough that you can win with your Thassa's Oracle, this deck kind of goes the exact opposite direction, where it's not trying to, like, delve cards out of its graveyard. Instead, it's like, I got Gadwicks, I got Nykthos's. I can just, like, draw through most of my deck and put a ton of blue mana symbols on the battlefield, and I can just, like, cast my Thassa's Oracle and win with, like, 10 or 20 cards in my deck. I don't have to worry about exiling my graveyard to make Inverter work, which I think makes it... A little bit less risky. One of my impressions of playing the, the normal Demir inverter deck is you're always like right on the edge of killing yourself. And if you're a great player like canister or something, sure, you can like figure out ways around that. But if you're an average player, I've seen a lot of people playing with and playing against that deck that kind of just make one small mistake and end up decking themselves. This is like the same combo, but you have a little bit of a safety net where you don't necessarily have to just like run out your inverter and make some small error and end up dying to your, your misplay
1: yeah I, I and like that that's the as you had mentioned that's why it's just so cool like just like it's like a it's a less terrifying like line to walk so I, I'm a fan of it I do feel though that like the like like because like I do love thought sees I think having thought sees makes it wonderful Uh, which is why I still would pro like, I'd probably, if I'm going to play an inverter deck competitively at some kind of like magic fest or GP, I'd probably just play the blue black version. Um, and I, the, another thing is like, though we were kind of just talking about like how all the inverter decks are kind of like, you know, they're not set in stone, right? The lists. That's why I like the lists, like Shota, Yasuka is like playing because He's got a Scarab God in the main deck, along with an Ashiok Nightmare Muse. I think that's really sweet. I love the way that Shota built his, um, his uh, Demir Inverter deck. And if I were to probably play this tomorrow, I'd probably look to build that. Um, there are versions, like, I think Kai, B- uh, Buddha I- is playing the version that's like Coax from the Blind Eternities in the main deck, mm-hmm. but, but like I like Shoda's list because I mean you've got a Scarab God, Ashiok Nightmare Muse, uh the way he's got his deck list, it really just looks like he's got a singleton sinister sabotage. It just looks like a Demir control deck. Which is like what I would want to do with this place, like this kind of combo anyways, right? I want to just build like a an Esper or blue black control deck that just actually is a control deck and much like how the mono blue deck isn't really all about trying to keep its graveyard low uh, it, it's just trying to win off like Gadwick having low cards and like dropping a ton of blue pips on the board I just want to control the game and almost use this like a a fancy elixir of immortality that will kill your opponent <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I think you could definitely build, like, a a Teferi-style Esper control deck that is playing Inverter, uh, Thassa's Oracle as a finisher. Like, I think that that could be a pretty legitimate plan. The other thing I will say about uh, Coax from the Blind Eternities, which, if you know what Coax is, uh it's a, a wish for Eldrazi, I believe. Three mana yeah. blue wish for Eldrazi. I think that that is something that kind of appeals to me moving forward, because... I think as Demir Inverter becomes a deck to beat, one of the best ways of beating that is going to be playing on style effects, Lost Legacy style effects, where slaughter if you just games. slaughter games, where if you just name the key combo piece the Inverter decks are going to have a really difficult time winning. So what Coast lets you do is like hide an Inverter in your sideboard or be able to get like some big Ulamog or something uh, if you need a backup way to win the game. But you can hide a Inverter in your sideboard to kind of zigzag around some of the hate cards. So I think that that plan might be more valuable in the future with Inverter being uh, the deck to beat and having a big target on its back.
1: I agree. Yeah, like, I mean, like, that's, that, like, having some other Eldrazi in there, like, Thought Not Seers, and, like, like, because Kai was playing them in the main deck. Uh Like, there's, like, Lee Shi Tian has one in the sideboard, uh, a coax from Blind Eternities, but, like, I I think, like, if you play it in the main deck, then you get to start putting, you just kind of become, like, this Demir Eldrazi deck. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh yeah. Like, in case, like, because, like, you're seeing decks, like, five color Niv to Light. Um, and PV's, like, PV's reasoning for, like, slaughter games is because, you know, these decks can counter your unmoored ego. So PV needs it to resolve. So that's why he's playing slaughter games. And, and maybe that's, if that's the way, like, those decks are gonna go, like you had mentioned, then yeah, like, let's say they do nab your, 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 uh, inverter, then yeah, just, Bring in reality smasher. Bring in like, you know what I mean? Thought not serious. Granted that, yes, that does require your mana base to probably change a little bit because now you're playing colorless lands, or lands that have to actually produce colorless. Uh um and and whatnot, which could change a little bit, but or you could just play Ulamog and try to go bigger. I don't know. But it seems like a fun thing to try.
0: Yeah, I think this is a little off topic, but I think that Eldrazi are gonna be good in Pioneer eventually. But I think what's holding them back right now is not having uh, the full set of the Pain lands. So the mana yeah. is really... Like, to play blue-black Eldrazi, your is going to be really clunky. Especially if you're trying to, like, cast double blue Thassa's Oracle, double black Inverter of Truce. But once we get the rest of the Pain lands, then I think that really opens up a lot more to be able to have Eldrazi decks be a thing. And I would not be the least bit surprised. I think the Pain lands and then... Oh, I'm trying to think of the other cycle. There's one other, like, unfinished, but pretty playable cycle, uh, in Pioneer. But I think that there are, uh, cycles that we will see in the near future. Like I wouldn't the, be surprised, uh, if we get, like, Painlands in the corset this year or something. The rest of the, the Painlands to get them into the format.
1: Yeah. Underground River is actually really hard to t- acquire. But like, like the, the reason why I think that, that you could do that now, though, is because you've already seen a few Demir Eldrazi decks running around. Um, and I, and, and I think that's pretty cool. Granted that they're not going as heavy on the colorless game plan, and they are doing things like Elder Deep Fiend, and you know what I mean? Eldrazi Sky Spawner. But, who knows? What, yeah, once, once those Painlands get involved, then this gets a lot better of a game plan. Then you truly can just be a combo deck that can board into the aggression that the uh, Eldrazi bring. But, right now, uh, with the way the lists are looking, Blue Black Inverter seems really sweet. Uh, and, like, I personally would tr- like to try the deck out myself, but as I told you, I would like to try to build a more controlling version that just happens to also have the combo.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the exciting things about the inverter combo right now is there are a bunch of ways you can potentially go with it. And even though, like, straight, like, demure uh, whatever, control combo inverter is the flavor right now definitely tons of possibilities that could involve that combo, and maybe that won't be the the flavor of next week or next month, because I think there's still some innovation to be done there. So, The other thing, one other uh, Pioneer Players Tour thing before we move forward. Other thing I want to mention to you is, I was kind of surprised that a lot of the old top-tier decks of the meta, like pre-Theros Beyond Death top-tier decks, uh, Blue-White Control, Blue-White Spirits, Uh, uh, also, is it, is it in, in Soul in Niv to Light? Those were kind of like four of the biggest decks in the meta before Theros Beyond Death. They all had pretty mediocre weekends like by their win percentages. Is it in Soul? Technically, that's a little bit of uh, an exaggeration. It actually won 52% of the time, so it wasn't bad overall, but it didn't have a good Inverter matchup. So even though it like did well overall, I'm still a little skeptical of it moving forward because apparently it doesn't actually do that well against Inverter. But what do you think yeah. about the these, like, decks that used to be the very best in the format, especially Azorius Control, Niv to Light, uh, are these decks going to have a place in the meta? Are they going to be Tier 2? Did they just have a bad weekend? Are they, like, dropping down to second tier? What do you think about those decks, Grim?
1: I think decks like Blue-White uh, Control isn't sold. They, they may not, like, well, at least Blue-White Control. I don't know if the builds were optimal. Uh, and, like, it, it although I will i will say that it is concerning uh for those decks because like the blue black deck can just sit there and wait right it counters you back and it, and it has the inevitability right because like you tap out one turn for anything and they could win the game uh and and it was just like playing against splinter twin um so that's why um if i'm gonna play blue white from now on i i gotta have thoughtsies I think like that's the the way you gotta play it if you're trying to play those control decks. Like my Grixis deck that I've been playing has been uh, has been pretty solid against it because the issue that I had was I got stomped out by mono green ramp like hilariously stomped out. Right. So uh, like maybe now with mono green ramp losing so much to the inverter deck those decks can kind of like now the meta can shift and adapt right so i think if you're playing blue white maybe you can try esper you can try grix's control like like with nico Bolas thought seizes thought erasure and then uh, of course you know discard spells don't stop top decks but it helps right and then of course is it in soul that was the mat that's a deck where i'm looking at it and i'm trying to think how can you actually stop it right like power level of Isid and Soul was being able to go like stubborn denial on some of the pieces of like like control decks and whatnot or, or, or maybe hope of gear up her but both the cards that they are really looking to cast are not non-creature spells like you know what I mean like inverter you can't counter that and at the end of the day inverter is still a 6-6 flyer that can still beat you down, and which it, is hilarious,
0: and it stops your soul creature, which is other like it right. lines up pretty hilariously poorly because they play a six six, and all of a sudden you are like, "I am going to make an indestructible five five plan," like doesn't look quite as hot.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well, now that my indestructible five five has to get equipped with ghost fire blade, and and all this other stuff. So, I I mean for that deck specifically. I think the only way is like maybe they're going to load up on more like metallic rebukes and are really hoping to just close out the game because I can see the games where you just have an explosive hand, right? Like where it's like one of those like modern affinity starts and you're just literally dumping your hand and and maybe you dump your hand and then after that point they just can never get back and you just need to go like a full play set of metallic rebukes into the main deck or something like that.
0: Yeah, that, that might be the way to go. Counters, uh, especially unconditional counters like Metallic Rebuke are a good way to fight against the Inverter deck. We saw that with the ramp decks, actually. Uh, we talked about Mono Green Ramp being really bad. Simic Ramp, though, was okay. It wasn't great, but, uh, Mono Green Ramp won 13% of the time against Inverter. Simic, which is essentially the same deck, but has counter spells in the sideboard, uh, won 43% of the time. So you're getting a huge boost in percentage. So if if you are someone who is a ramp player, don't play mono green. Definitely play simic so you can have access to at least some cards that can interact with the Demir uh, Inverter combo.
1: Right. And like on top of that, like you're if you're playing the chunky red mid-range deck, that was another top deck and like that's just too slow. It's not aggressive enough at all. Uh and and, and it is way too slow against the Inverter deck.
0: The good news is, if you were a chunky red player, I think you can probably convert your deck to mono red aggro without uh, investing a whole lot, hopefully, uh, and have a deck that I actually think is, would be my pick for next weekend. Uh, I was gonna, that was the last thing I wanted to ask you. We got another players tour event coming up this weekend, the North American Pioneers players tour. Uh, Give me a prediction for that event, Krim. Like, what are you expecting to uh, perform well, or win that tournament.
1: I expect to see an entire, like, an entirely sh- like crazy, like, shift in the way some of the decks are built. Just like I had mentioned earlier, like, how blue-white might just tune its numbers, and or start adding like, maybe it goes, like, you see Esper Control with, like, Thought seeds. You're gonna see more hand disruption, because you got to see how, like, the games where Yoel Larson just, like, dismantled Canister's hand, right? Like, game two... Or whatever against Canister, Yoel Larson just picked apart uh, Canister's hand and just was able to seal the deal, right? Especially because he was he had hand disruption and followed up with a clock. So you're gonna probably continue to see spirits. You're gonna con- you're gonna probably see more thought seized decks, and or you're gonna see a silly amount of mono red uh, and mono red, or just anything that can get down on the board. But because of that, now you're gonna see maybe also a shift in the inverter decks where i had mentioned earlier i would love to see a control a more controlling version with the combo in it and maybe you look at like a list like shoda yasuuka where like something like that uh and and maybe it gets more controlling it pl- doesn't just play a singleton languish maybe it does a split between languish and like even like i don't know ritual of soot or something like that and has more counter magic
0: yeah i think I'm very interested to see where the metagame goes next week. I think it's a, a super exciting and interesting time. I think that level one is mono-red, seeing an increase in play as a way to fight against Inverter, but the interesting part of that to me is, if people bring mono-red to be Inverter, then all of a sudden some of the decks we are talking about is being really bad because they can't be Inverter become appealing again. Like, Niv to Light, the Ramp decks, those are some of the better decks to actually fight against Mono Red Aggro, because you have all this, like, random life gain, you have Uros and Siege Rhinos, potentially. So, I'm very curious to see. I think level 1 is, play Mono Red Aggro to fight against Inverter, but then maybe level 2 is you wrap back around to, like, some sort of Niv build that you think has, I don't know, more main deck Slaughter Games or Unmortigos or something to fight Inverter, because that's good against Against mono Red, so uh I'm very interested to see where this metagame goes. And even though I expect Inverter will be the most played deck at the tournament, I think it's still very wide open, and I would not be the least bit surprised to see uh some other decks rise up in just one week's time and have really good performances next weekend.
1: Yeah. I I, I also think that like it's nice to have the like the Boogeyman deck, right? Like this is this is the the deck to beat right now, it's got the mark on its head, the inverter deck, so I'm excited to see how that, what becomes of that. And I'm, I'm excited to see if, like, maybe, I was really surprised to see that there wasn't that much mono black aggro in any of the top 8s.
0: That's been a deck that has been the literal best deck in the format for a couple of months now, like, back before Smuggler's Scopter was banned, it has been like, at the very top of the meta, so I think that was also interesting as well. And it feels like it's still okay. It had a fifty percent win rate with one of the larger sample sizes because it was uh, one of the more heavily played decks. So I don't think that it's bad. I, it didn't have a great inverter matchup. It had a thirty nine percent win rate, but it seems like black well, should be able to fix that. Like you have discard, right. like you, you should be able to play more discard effects or something and be able to well, shift that matchup a little more in your favor. I
1: think what how you do that is by sideboarding. You take you drop the duresses. And you turn that into like agonizing remorse. I think agonizing remorse was a, that was the one thing I, I realized. Like while playing the black red dragons deck post board, I brought in agonizing remorses and I, and I feel like that should just be a play set in the sideboard. Like how a lot of these decks are just going snap for duress out of the board. It should be snap for uh, of Agonizing Remorse because you can hit anything. And with how popular Uro is right now, uh between Niv to Light and maybe Joel Larson's Sultai deck, you can now hit Uro in the yard. Which is pretty major, or even eat a card in the yard to offset an euro, uh, like by delaying it for a turn.
0: Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's really good advice. I think Agonizing Remorse, another non duress discard, is a really good place to look for your sideboards, uh, in the next couple of weeks in Pioneer. Anyway, I think that wraps up our Pioneer talk. And I know we mentioned MPL rules. I think we're actually, we, we spent way more time talking about Pioneer than uh, than I thought we would. So let's push that back. Maybe we'll get to it next week and jump into some fish mail to wrap up the cast today. So uh, if you'd like your question answered on a future cast, make sure to send it at MTG MTGoldfish on Twitter. Hashtag MTGfishmail. And we would love to answer your question for you. So fish mail number one from real tap water is there anything to do at pro tours if you're not competing i live near phoenix and i'm wondering if i should drop in so uh crim if you're not actually a pro is there any reason to show up to a pro tour event
1: um so like when i was at mc london um after i immediately dorand myself out of the tournament <laughs> going 0 and 5 uh, <laughs> I, there was still a GP, right? There was still a, an entire section of magic, uh, related things, like between, like, artists and all that other stuff. Uh, there, so, like, you still had things to do there. Now, if Phoenix is gonna be anything like that, then heck yeah. Go out. You can even go and, like, like, they have, like, viewing areas where you can sit with others to watch the Pro Tour, uh, or other people compete. If not, It's just, like, you can go out and go get your cards altered. You can go look at cool Magic cards that you probably haven't seen. Uh, I give you... I say there are just as many reasons to go, like, if you're already a fan of, like, Magic Fest and GPs and stuff like that. And if you haven't gone to one yet, I think you should go out to one because... I think that, don't get me wrong, I love sitting and playing Magic from my home and not actually having to go outside unless it's like whatever EDH with friends, but there's still something about a Magic Fest and a GP that you can't beat.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that is a very good answer. One of the big changes that happened semi-recently, is uh, all the Pro Tours Nows, and Players Tours, Magic Fest, whatever we're calling them uh, this week, uh, but they all come along with an actual Magic Fest, so there's definitely a reason to go to Phoenix because you get all the Sweet Magic Fest stuff that Cameron was talking about, when uh, a couple of years ago, Pro Tours sometimes weren't even opened, and they were very just like, only the pros go there, other people can't get in, but yeah, that's one of the big, awesome changes that has uh, happened fairly recently, where even if you're not a pro, and not qualified for the pro tour there's still tons of stuff to do because you get the whole magic fest experience on top of it uh next question from impromptu paul why are cards from commander 2019 so cheap right now seems different from other commander sets
1: i have noticed that like though there are cards that aren't like there's no like one card right that's like a bajillion dollars there are a ton of cards spread out through the deck that add up to being a little bit pricier. Like, like, just like I don't know, random mana rocks are, are expensive, right? Uh like I, I, whatever is in Commander Nineteen. I need to like pull up the entire list again, but there's still like, what is it, Dockside Extortionist? That
0: is that is the number one card right now at around twenty ish dollars, right? and then like Carricks on uh, those ten dollars, and some reprints are in there. I think. Uh, I would say there's a couple reasons for this. The biggest one is they're still kind of in print. Uh, I had to go to Walmart a couple of weeks ago, and you can still just get Commander 2019 decks... On the shelf of your big box store, they're probably at your local game store potentially too or online. So the fact that the supply is still increasing and they're still in print is a big reason. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if you look back at like Commander 2017, Teferi's Protection is like $45 and Kinder Discovery is like $20. I wouldn't yep. be surprised if uh, Dockside Extortionist ends up going that way two or three years down the road, but I think for right now, since you can still just, like, go buy these pretty easily, it's holding the prices down.
1: Yeah, like, I go to my local Target, and they're still just loaded to the brim, or yeah. or, or something like that. So, once it goes out of rotation, I de- like, like I think uh, Dockside Extortionist, Cricks. Um, is there anything from the Kadena deck?
0: Oh, I'm trying to think what is, like, stapley from the Kadena deck. Looking at, like, the next most expensive cards, it's a lot of the reprints, like Lightning Greaves, Seedborn Muse, Solemn. Right. Uh, the next most expensive new card is actually Oren Frostfang, <laughs> the the snake five-drop that draws you cards. Yeah, that's the, the next most expensive new card after the ones we talked about. Empowered auto generator, uh, a new mana rock.
1: That's the, the one where, like, you pick a person and then they get to put a land in and you get to, like, put a land in or something?
0: Uh, this one is a, a charge counter one. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone play this. It comes, it's four mana. It comes into play tap. You can tap it to put a charge counter on it. And then you add X mana of any one color where X is the number of charge counters on it. So I guess it charges up turn after turn basically with more counters and more mana.
1: Sure. Okay. But yeah, I think yeah, like-
0: the answer is they're still in pretty high supply. So uh, I guess the good news is that means if you don't have these cards yet, you can go pick them up very cheaply at your local game store, or your Target or your Walmart or whatever. And uh, they probably will be worth more at some point in the future. Next question from Salty Dog Psy. Heart of the ether. Gideon. It looks like we're going back to Kaladesh where Gideon is a revived as a cyborg thoughts. So I should probably explain this <laughs> since we are uh, we are in a podcast and there are no images here. There was a a cyborgy looking Gideon that comes from oh what's the game Krim? do you know Ma-
1: uh, Mana Strike Mana, Mana.
0: Strike uh, one of the new one of the new games do you think this means that that version of Gideon is going to be showing up as an actual magic card or can't we really infer that because Gideon is a cyborg in Mana Strike it's going to happen in actual magic too
1: I don't know that was the that like there's a lot of speculation around it and I myself think that I mean like you know he's coming back like, at some point, Gideon is going to come back. I mean,
0: Elspeth came back, so there's yeah. no reason Gideon won't come back.
1: Exactly. Like, like I don't know. I mean, I, I personally would rather see Gideon come back as a ninja or something just so that we can go back to Kamagawa or, 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 or Phyrexian or something like that. But if he comes back as a cyborg, oh, man, that makes me concerned that there might be an artifact set coming. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, Kaladesh was an artifact set. I don't know. I'm curious if we will return to Kaladesh or not. I could see them wanting to return to, like fix some of the issues the first time around but artifact sets are just so risky maybe in the with the new design philosophy of making more like colored artifacts to reduce their power level or like narrow the decks that they can go in maybe Kaladesh could work with that design philosophy rather than having so many colorless artifacts that just can go in any deck yep also if Gideon wasn't coming back why would they be putting Gideon as a character in, like, Mana Strike and stuff? It seems like if they really were expecting Gideon to be dead forever and we're just going to, like, move on, that they wouldn't be, like, marketing him in these other games.
1: Yeah, that's that's the one thing. Like, But, I mean, at the same time, there are, like, for a good chunk of time, Gideon was the, the white planeswalker to go to, right? So, I mean, maybe it's just to have a household name kind of in the game for yeah. people that knew, know of magic, but... Maybe we're reading too much into it. Who knows?
0: Next question from It's Brews Day. Why do MTGO prices, uh, why do foil MTGO prices always lag behind non-foils? War Chase is $9 non-foil, but foils only $3. Seems like the less frequently open card should always be more expensive. Uh, there is. A big reason for this, and it is foils are very much disliked on Magic Online. They look weird traditionally. I don't think they do this as much anymore, but they have uh, sometimes like had problems where they lag the client if you have your foil animations on. So most long time Magic Online players Do not play foils. Uh, The way you, like, bling out your deck usually doesn't involve foiling it. It's more like promos or, like, getting old printings of stuff that can be expensive. So the reason for the foil discrepancy is basically people in general don't like playing foils on Magic Online. That does make an opportunity, though, if you're trying to get Magic Online cards on the cheap and you don't really care about uh, what your cards look like so much or you like how the foils look. It is worth looking for the foils because you usually can get foils almost across the board with a few exceptions for cheaper than you can get the the non-foil version on Moto. Next question from uh, Netaku. Who have you each picked to win worlds? That trophy pet looks pretty sweet. So worlds coming up two weekends, I think. We have uh, players tour this weekend, then worlds the next weekend. They're doing this promo where you can pick a champion, one of the people competing. If they win, you get some swag on arena. Krim, who did you, uh, you pick as your champion?
1: I, I was so torn. I had to choose, it was tough for me to choose between Andres uh, Ostrowski, Canister, and Yellow Hat, aka Gabriel Nassif. But I ended up going with Old Yellow Hat just because I think Gabe's a wonderful player and I like the decks that he plays. So, I'm just excited. I I mean, I love Canister. It's hard to not root for Canister and whatnot, but I I think... I I went with uh, Gabriel Nassif.
0: Well, that's funny because I also uh, went with Gab. Just, uh, uh, Gabriel Nassif is one of my favorite streamers and just a general, like, really good guy. So, and plus... He had the yellow hat on his picture and when I was looking at all the champions yep. he was the one Very that actually visible. like uh, kind of stood out and looked like he was enjoying himself while a lot of the other people had their like serious esports pose on I was like all right, all right yeah. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the goofy yellow <laughs> yellow hat guy I will say if I was serious about winning I think if I was going to going to pick my number one person, or number I guess it would be two people that I think have the best chance of winning, uh, Javier Dominguez and also Canister, I think would probably be my top two picks if all I was going for was like, I think this person has the highest odds of actually winning the tournament. It's really hard for me to pick against, uh, Javier after just like what a heater he's been on the last year.
1: But it's also hard to like, like deny that I think that Canister is also running real hot right now, especially just getting second, right? At the players tour. So,
0: and also, uh, paulo keeps crushing it yep like paulo another top eight this weekend i think that's three in a row that paulo's top aided so that's another like re- I, man there's so many really good players at this event like yeah. there, there's yeah. so many people that when i think about it i'm like wow there's like a really legit chance that that person wins the tournament so there's like half the field or more i think are, are very easily you can make strong arguments uh should be considered someone who's a favorite to win uh last question of the week uh, Hey guys, I've been wondering who does the artwork on your website and for the video. Same question for video editing. Cheers and keep up the great content. I love it. Uh, video editing a little bit scattered around. Uh, there's a few different people that do editing here and there. Uh, uh, some of, like, Tomer edits some of his stuff, I edit some of my stuff, there's someone who does gameplay editing, Matt does some of the, like, special series, uh, Fletcher. Uh, as far as artwork, it is pretty much all Adriano. You can find him on Twitter and on Instagram, but he does all the, the thumbnails, uh, art that you see on YouTube, so that's where that stuff comes from. Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of our fish meal. So, reminder, if you want your question in for next week, send it at, m- at Fish on Twitter, hashtag mtgfishmail. And that brings us to the end of episode 261, uh, 262 rather of the MTG old fish podcast. So Krim, thanks for hanging out. Richard should be back next week. So we'll have the crew here. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to card conduit for supporting the show. So we will be back next week to talk about another round of players tours and whatever else happens in the world of magic. So until then, this is the crew signing out.